comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to The Black Box. Welcome back to The Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor. Hope everybody had a great Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, Feliz Navidad, holiday season. And I hope that you rung in the new year in a very special way and just enjoyed yourself through and through. A while ago, I was a part of the Plain Label podcast, which is hosted by Eric Williams. You can uh, find episodes of the Plain Label podcast at plainlabelpodcast.tumblr.com or you can also find them on the MovieNoise.com website, MovieNoise.com slash label. And the host, Eric Williams, invited me to the podcast to talk about the 1989 Batman feature film starring the one and only Michael Keaton. And we go through a lot of facets of the film. I wanted to actually put this episode out a couple months ago or replay it a couple months ago. Just life sometimes gets in the way. You get a little busy. Plus, you get sick for a while. And now we're getting back on track. I want y'all to listen to this episode. They're called Pod Shots. Uh, these are special episodes that just focus on one specific film in general. I had a great time uh, being on the uh, Plain Label podcast. Eric is an incredible host. It's a great podcast. They talk about all sorts of movies. It's a really good time, and I you know, I can't wait to go back on there again. I definitely wanted to get this episode out to your ears so you could hear the Plain Label podcast as we talked about Batman from 89 with Keaton, Nicholson, and Basinger. Um, directed by Tim Burton. We talk about the whole cultural phenomenon as well of the 89 Batman movie. So sit back, relax, and dig this episode. We'll be back with a fresh new episode of The Black Box on January 24th. Finally, the uh, State of the uh, Movie Industry episode will air. Um, it was recorded in late December between myself, uh, Joy Alicio, and Julian Lytle. It's in the editing bay right now, and we'll get it out to the masses by the 24th of January. So you sit back and just, before you get that one, just relax and kick back and listen to this episode, and we will catch you on the flip side. Peace. Welcome to the Plain Label Podcast, Pod Shots. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Plain Label Podcast, Pod Shots. I am your host, Eric Williams. For this episode, we are going to be talking about the 1989 film Batman, directed by Tim Burton. Here to discuss the film with me is Mr. Sean Pryor. Hey, everybody. Hey, Eric, thank you for having me on the show, sir. Oh, no problem, no problem. Uh, before big digging into Batman, I would like to say that we are proud members of the Deliberate Noise Network. Head over to DeliberateNoise.com and check out some of the other shows that are over there. So, Sean, it is a plain label podcast tradition that we check in with what adult beverage you're enjoying tonight. So, what do you got? All right, I actually have two beverages um, on, on my person. I have a French beer called uh, Cronenberg 1664. Um, It's a a very smooth beer, um, very light to the taste. Um, It's crisp. Um, This has actually become my favorite beer now. Really? Yeah, my uh, friend Justin Stewart um, 
got me uh, hip to this beer during a Fourth uh, of July cookout. Okay. And I've been able to find it at a couple of local places, um, and and I, I I love it. I think it's great. So is it is I, it just like a, like a regular ale or what kind of a beer is it? Um, imagine if Bud Light tasted like the greatest beer on the face of the planet. <laughs> and, and I know I'm probably making a lot of people upset because I kind of just pissed on Bud Light. Oh, I but, don't like Bud Light either. Okay, well, good. <laughs> but um, but see, the thing, but that's the whole thing. When you know, when you're young, when you're young and you don't know any better, you'll drink the Bud Lights, you'll drink the Budweisers, and then when you get introduced to something else, you're like, oh, oh, this is what beer is supposed to taste like. Yeah. And I mean, no offense to those who like Bud Light. I'm not trying to piss on your parade. Um, but no, um, but yeah, but that's that's kind of like my interpretation of Cronenberg uh, 1664. And the other beer is a Newcastle. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've had the Newcastle. That's good. That's one. I, that's actually a, a staple here in the Williams household. Oh, very nice. Very yeah, nice. I like that. Uh, I am going with this. Is a um, uh, well, not not quite local, but I, as far as any of the coasts are concerned, this is local. This is from uh, the Boulder Beer Company in Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's one of those flyover states, so they're all the same sort of a thing. Uh, but anyway, so this is called the Flashback, and it is an India-style brown ale, and it's a lot like a Newcastle, but it's not quite as good. So okay. I uh, I gave this one a shot at the old... At the old uh, supermarket, it was on sale for not very expensive. So I was like, "Well, you know, how bad could it be?" And it's and it's okay. It's just it's fairly mediocre. Oh yeah, we have um like in our just like our local grocery stores, not the specialty liquor and alcohol stores. Mm-hmm. There is a beer called Tap Room, and Tap Room is starting to like invade our town. And they're not very expensive. Uh, they're not very expensive, but they're all bottles. Uh, not very expensive. They have different types of uh, flavors. Like they have an amber beer, a regular beer. They have an IPA. Mm-hmm. And the taste is kind of growing on me, but I'm not sure if it's a taste that I can, you know, go back to. You know, that I can say, okay, you know what? This was worth the X amount of dollars for. Not that it was that expensive, but I've been trying to, like, go outside of my safe zones. When oh, sure. Drinking. Yeah, I like to go. I do the same thing at like our grocery store. I don't typically go to the liquor store that a lot, a lot but uh, at our grocery store it has a little wine and spirits area, mm-hmm. and I'll go in there and try to find some some different stuff and some new stuff. And and I'm my wife says I'm getting as snobby with my beers as I am with my movies, <laughs> uh, and so so I always try to find some sort of you know local thing or some micro thing that's not outrageously expensive. So, but it's it, you know sometimes it's sometimes it's good and sometimes it's pretty pretty mediocre. So, all right, well let's uh, let's begin our discussion with the 1989 movie Batman. What do you do for a living? Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Nice outfit. You look fine. 
I didn't ask. I have given a name to my pain. What are you? I'm Batman. My life is really complex. Wing freak terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. In Gotham City, a dark knight known as Batman helps to defeat evil and keep the city's citizens safe. When Jack Napier is transformed into the evil Joker, he promises to take over Gotham City, and it's up to Batman to stop him in his tracks before it's too late. So, Sean, what is your, uh, what's your sort of brief history with this movie? My brief brief history, um, we go back to uh, 1988, 1989, mm-hmm. and I and, and remember, this is all pre-internet, everything we learn is through either television, a newspaper, or a magazine, or that strange word of mouth that could go from one end of the country all the way to your neighborhood. Sure. And I remember a friend of mine running up to me because I was... Heavy comic book reader, still love comic books, still read them. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend of mine that knew nothing about comic books that ran up to me and said, they're making a Batman movie. And I was like, and I, to which I said, really? And he's like, yeah. I was like, well, who's playing Batman? To which my friend said, Michael Keaton. <laughs> to, to which then I said, Mr. Mom? Exactly. That's exactly the first response I had. <laughs> you Mr. Know, Mom? <laughs> yeah. You know, I didn't say Beetlejuice or, yeah. or, or anything. Mr. Like, Mr. Mom? That dude? Really? <laughs> The dude that was also in a movie with Fonzie, mm-hmm. you know, like in the early 80s, that guy? Uh-huh. Yeah, him. And I was just like, oh. But <laughs> but so, but so, then it, it went to the back of my mind, and I didn't think anything of it again until I was in the movie theater uh, with my family, and it was the trailer that not only got me excited for the film, but it actually re-energized my whole spirit in in like you know in comic books too because i was reading comic books but i wasn't really reading batman comic books Mm. and when i saw the trailer and i remember the trailer to this day because to me now that i'm older it's not a trailer it's literally a sizzle reel yeah and and um because the only thing it's doing is selling you all the high points it is literally just doing nothing but selling you the high points and also at the same time it looks like uh, guys, we need to put a trailer together. We don't have a complete film, so let's just throw a bunch of things together and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. And when that trailer starts, you get the Warner Brothers logo, and it starts to fade, and you have like this night sky, and you see the bat jet, you know, just flying. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And then you see it fly around a building, and then you see Batman in the cockpit, and I'm like, that's Batman? Are you serious? Mm-hmm. And 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 then the uh, bat jet flies into the city. And tries to, you know, tries to shoot, he tries to shoot the Joker. And then you cut through just like all these scenes. And there's no music. And if there is a little bit of music at the beginning, it gets cut off. Because literally, it's like they just chopped it and threw it in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And you just get all these like little scenes and one-liners. And right when the trailer's about to end, Batman's walking away. And he turns around when he hears the Joker's laugh. And you see the words, Jack Nicholson. Then followed by Michael Keaton. 
and then they throw the bat the bat the Batman logo on the screen. You don't see the word Batman, but you see the logo. And that logo for for like the movies, that was like a big iconic moment for me. Oh yeah. Be, because it was in your face. It was like Batman's coming and if you're not ready for it, guess what? You suck. <laughs> yes. And and so my that's where the excitement began and I remember my mother taking me to see it. I remember my dad taking me to see it. And I think I saw it like in the theaters. I saw it in the theaters like four times. Oh, really? And, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean cuz that was it was it was a it was a at that time, it was a comic it was a movie based off of a comic book which worked. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? I mean, it wasn't Howard the Duck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the like bad... Superman 3 or 4 by now? Yeah, we're not going to talk about Superman 3. We're not going to talk about that. I have a, a strong love-hate relationship with Superman 3. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really do. I have the poster, plus my, plus my relative is in that film. Oh, is that right? Yes, yes. Very interesting. Rich, Richard Pryor is in that movie. Is in Superman 3. Sure, sure. Richard Pryor, yeah. I didn't and, know you're related to Richard Pryor. Yes, a distant relative on my father's side of the family. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't talk about it much because people always want to clown on Superman three. Look, <laughs> I know that film is a turd. I know that film is a turd. That movie had no script, and they said, "Richard, just carry it. Go yeah. ahead, carry it." But anyway, I digress. But um, but it was it was an actual movie, you know, based off a comic book that looked very, very good. Or, you know, at the time, it looked very good. So, oh sure, yeah. I guess I, I, I went to see it. I fell in love with it, and it made me go read Batman comic books again, and um, you know, and I was excited. I was excited because I was like, if we got this, then you know, in the future, you know, these movies are just gonna keep getting better, better, and better. Didn't really turn out that way, um, but still, it did kind of start this mini revolution for for comic book films slowly, but it's it started it again. Right. Yeah, I guess for me, I. Um... I didn't see this in the theater. I remember being really excited about it, but I remember, I don't know why I didn't go see it. Let's see, if if it's 89, so I would have been, I would have been like 10 Mm -hmm. or so. And so I don't know if I wasn't allowed to see it or what, but I remember the, after the VHS was released, I got two of the VHS, um, movies in for Christmas because I remember you know distinctly opened it up going well I already have this you know because I just got this you know five minutes ago right and so I remember getting that and watching it and watching it and watching it and watching it and you know almost wearing out the box and wearing out the tape and I still remember that uh, Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny uh, sort of preview to the movie like you know normally you'd have now you have your trailers and your previews for upcoming movies, well, then it was like, buy Warner Brothers t-shirts and Warner Brothers neckties and Warner Brothers this and that and the other. And I remember seeing those two cartoon characters on there. And uh, But yeah, so I've seen this so many times. Um, that, uh, But I, you know, it's one of those where I haven't watched it in quite a while. So it was kind of, uh, it was kind of interesting, especially, you know, we just got done doing, um, on the regular show, we just got done doing the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Ooh, okay. And so it was interesting to kind of watch this after watching those three films and sort of compare and contrast and realize, you know, that some were made in the era that they were made and sort of watching that, watching it for what it is instead of, you know, what it's become and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, and I was telling my wife today that 
that I have, uh, you know, I've, I've watched these Batman movies so many times, except for Batman and Robin. I think I watched that once and that was about it. But, um, I've, and I've only seen the Superman ones. Like, I've seen the first one a lot, but I think I've seen the other ones maybe a handful of times. And I don't necessarily, like, I mean, I read the Batman books, I read Superman books, but, I don't necessarily, in the comics form, gravitate more towards one or the other, but apparently in movies, I really enjoy one more than the other, Yeah, which is kind of interesting. Well, I think think a lot of that plays into the fact of, a lot of that plays into, like, the age you were at the time. Mm. Um, Like you said, you were around 10 10 years old at the time, and around that time, that's when Batman hit, and so, and you had subsequent sequels afterwards, whereas opposed to Superman, that was pretty much said and done. Yeah. And so, yeah, you could get it through VHS. Yeah, you could see it on cable. But if that hype at the time wasn't in your face, you know, during during the age of 10, then you're probably really not thinking about it. Whereas with Batman, Batman became this phenomenon in 1989. Um, You know, there were so many things that surrounded it. I mean, not only do you have the film itself, which, you know, which we'll get into, but this was one of the first movies that Warner Brothers had where they said, you know what, we can merchandise a living daylights out of this. Mm-hmm. And you had, you know, Batman logo t-shirts everywhere. You had the uh, infamous uh, Toy Biz Batman line, which which I, 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 I'll talk about later. I won't get into that right now. But, um, uh, you know, you also had the Prince soundtrack. Oh, you, yes. You know, um, that is that is such a good part of the movie, by the way. I'm not yes. I'm not a huge Prince guy, but it works so well in this movie. Oh yeah, definitely. Not only that, you had the Prince soundtrack, and you also had the Danny Elfman original original score soundtrack available mm-hmm. for sale too. And which is weird because you think of two things that you think would not go together: Danny Elfman and Prince, and it <laughs> and it worked. You yeah. hear you you hear some Danny Elfman score. Oh, here comes a Prince song. It was it was strange, but it worked. And you had all these ancillary products surround, you know, surround, you know, the Batman franchise to which helped boost it to become a phenomenon. Plus all the one liners. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and things like that. So. So, yeah. So it it was going to leave, you know, regardless of how you feel about the film, you know, you know felt about the film back then or felt about it now. It left an impressionable mark on people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so. So, yeah, man. Um, all I know is from. The hardest problem I've had with trying to watch Batman, this 1989 version, is that it was difficult as hell to acquire a copy of this movie. And now you're talking to like on just regular DVD, right? I'm talking on Blu-ray. Oh, okay. Um, like on, on regular DVD, you can still kind of find it in spots, but a lot of stores don't sell a lot of DVDs anymore. But Blu-ray is the standard, so I should be able to find it on Blu-ray. Well, what happened was. Warner Brothers put it out on Blu-ray in 2009, and then in 2010 they re-released it um, in like a special like bookcase type um, type release, and they also released what was the uh, Batman anthology, which was the Burton Schumacher series. Right. And then they took it off the market. Don't really? Know why, yeah. Don't know why. Don't know how. But sometime in I say sometime around like early 2011, um, they took it off the market. So. When we decided, you know, we, you know, we were talking about, hey, what movie are we going to talk about? I started when we said, okay, Batman's cool. We, I went to go look for it, and it was gone. I mean, I did my DVD price search look, and it was all, you know, it was out of print. So I could go to Amazon and get it from, you know, Amazon and get it from like a reseller, 
Mm-hmm. But they're they're charging out of the butt for it. I'm I'm not paying forty or fifty dollars for a Batman Blu-ray. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So, do, what I had to do was I actually had to use Amazon Instant Video and rent it for forty eight hours, um, for three bucks, not the high def version, but the standard version, which is okay. Yeah. Um, for three dollars in order to watch this film, and you would think this movie would be much more accessible. Yeah, that's really strange. I mean, it was a gigantic success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. and 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 I'm thinking I'm like, does Warner Brothers think I would confuse a 1989 Batman with the Nolan Dark Knight trilogy? I mean, I'm like, I'm not that stupid, <laughs> you, you know. But uh, but yeah, it was it was that difficult for me to find, you know, to actually find this movie. And now I see the thing is the funny thing is now I want it. Yeah. And and it's not like it's my favorite movie in the world, but there's something about it that still pulls me into it. Right. But now that I can't have it, now I want it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe that's what they're trying to do to you. Uh, for me, I went and a few years ago, it must have been when that anthology came out of the first four, and I got those in regular standard definition. And I, I've i seen the Batman, just the original Batman since, but I haven't uh, opened up any of the other ones. And okay. so for this, I, I, rewatched, uh, I rewatched just the regular... The regular version, and it did have a Tim Burton commentary on there, which I actually think will be really interesting because it's one of those movies where it was a huge success, but I don't really hear a lot about the putting together of the film other than the Jack Nicholson, you know, getting paid for the merchandise and taking less of a cut up front stuff. Like, that's the only thing I really tend to hear about this movie. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of interesting. I really want to rewatch that, and I may, I may have to do that here, uh, here soon. But I didn't get a chance to. But yeah, I watched, I watched it that way. Um, I guess I never really assumed that it would be that hard to get a hold of. I guess. Yeah, it's really, it's really weird. I mean, it's really, really weird because I would think something like that would be evergreen. Well, yeah. I mean, but, it cost uh, it cost around thirty million, I believe, and it made over four hundred and forty million. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I mean that is a that is a humongous success. Oh yeah, and, we, and, that, and that was before it even came to video. Yeah, so, and that's so. that's not even including the all the toys and all the tie-ins and all that sort of sort of thing, including magazines, which you have one in front of you, correct? As a matter of fact, I do. I have. It's funny. I have this. This is actually from my father's uh, comic book and magazine collection, um, which a few years ago he had me go through. And he said, "I want to sell my books." He's like, "You keep what you want to keep." The rest you can sell and just give me some of the money. I said, okay, cool. And one of, the, one of those things was a copy of Starlog uh, from August of 1989. Mm. And on the front, it's got uh, Michael Keaton in the Batman costume. And it says, The Making of Batman, director Tim Burton's Inside Story. And it also features articles such as Star Trek V, Meet Spock's brother, the Laughing Vulcan. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. And then there's another article that says Rick Moranis steals Ghostbusters 2 and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Uh, William Shatner quite, uh, William Shatner questions he won't answer. Uh, Indiana Jones, Solace Speaks, and uh, let's see two other ones. Cyberpunk star William Gibson's latest book and License to Kill. Timothy Dalton re- reveals why Bond goes berserk. Oh, my God. That's, that's like right in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I don't. I don't love Star Trek Five. I, I know. I know a few apologists that that try to defend that movie. I think it's awful. You can't defend that movie. Is trash. 
<laughs> and I'll be the first to say it. It is awful. I went, I saw that movie with my mother in California. Um, when we, uh, we, I went on vacation, she went on vacation. I went with her. We went to California and we went to a movie theater and it was the second week it was out. Mm-hmm. And this was a really nice movie theater. I mean, it was gorgeous. And the night before we saw Ghostbusters 2, which it just come, came out and it was in this big theater and like, you know, the screen's so large that it bent on both sides. Oh. S- super sound system. Wonderful. Was Ghostbusters 2 a great movie? No, but the, the kid, you know, the kid in me at that time, even though I knew as a kid it was, it was about as bad as it, as it was. I've seen episodes of the real Ghostbusters cartoon at the time that was better than Ghostbusters 2. Mm. But because it was Ghostbusters, I said, I'll give it the pass. But yeah, I'm sure I, with that experience, with that screen and the sound and all that stuff, it, you get a little bit, you know, it gives a little bit more of a pull towards the positive on that sort of thing. Oh, oh yeah, no doubt. You know, no, so the next night, my mom's like, hey, let's go see a new Star Trek. And the Star Trek movie been out, like I said, for, for two weeks. So we go and we get, you know, we get tickets and then we walk into the theater. We walk in there, there theater number, number six. So like, okay. So we walk to theater number six and we walk in. We're like, why is the screen so small? How come there aren't that many seats? Isn't this only the second week it's been out? Shouldn't it be in a big screen? And then all the rest of the people came in. Then we sat down and about an hour in, we realized why it was, why it was quickly moved to the smaller screen. Mm-hmm. Movies, awful. Just awful. Shatner directed that movie. Mm-hmm. But you know what, man? I'm not trying to talk about that. I'm happy. Batman, I'm happy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's the only one that I, you know, that's the that's the one that I don't. Uh, it's not that I don't acknowledge it, but I'm like, well, I don't know. Everyone knows that's bad. Let's just go and move on to the good stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. So. Um, something in the Starlog article. There are a couple of things. Um, Tim Burton says because it says from this article, Tim Burton at the time was around 30 years old. And they call him America's one of America's most promising filmmakers. And they said after cutting his teeth directing two short films at Walt Disney Studios, the animated Vincent, which was a tribute to Vincent Price, and the short for Frankenweenie, a live action variation on Frankenstein about a boy who brings his dog back to life, which is actually now a, uh, a like a um, was it a stop motion film that's coming out later this year? Yeah. Um, it says that, um, you know, Burton moved on to two features, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice, uh, which were relatively small budget, but they became box office, box office sleeper hits, and that got him the job for Batman. But he says, but direct, directing Batman was different. Discussing the movie over lunch at Pinewood Studios in England, where it was filmed, Burton makes it clear that Batman was a far more strenuous challenge for him than either Pee-wee or Beetlejuice. And he says, this, has been, this one has been very difficult for me. It was such a difficult shoot. We were shooting six days a week. Usually, if you have the weekend, you can regroup a little bit. There was absolutely no time to regroup. And it says, um, additionally, during the three-and-a-half-month shooting schedule, the movie makers worked, usually worked 12-hour days. And that also caused complications with the script. And it says, one consequence of this hectic schedule... Um, yeah, one, consequ- one consequence of this hectic schedule was that Burton never had time to ensure the script was completely finished. Mm. Um, and he says, we ran into troubles because by the shoot's end, we, there were sequences that weren't quite solidified. I figure if I ever had to do it over again, I would want to make the script better. But there's no point in freaking out. You must stick by what you're doing 
And I think I got a, I think it got a little bit out of hand. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting because I mean, like I don't think that the film's Oscar worthy, but I think it's a good film. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good film too. I mean, yeah, a lot of people make the joke that you know the film should have been called Joker and <laughs> and and then not Batman because you know Nicholson does steal the show. I mean, you know he eats up, you know he chews, eats, and devours scenery. Every single time his presence is, um, you know, on, you know, the camera's focused on him, whether he's he was gangster Jack Napier or he was the Joker. Um, but still, I mean, it's yeah, it's got its flaws. Um, and like a lot of the flaws in the film, a lot of the flaws in the film aren't really with the movie as much as it is with, like, say, for instance, Batman suit. Mm. Um, you look at this movie. And this is the, really the first time I really, you know, paid attention to this. The way that suit was designed, Keaton could barely move in the thing. Yeah. You never see him move too much at all. A lot, there's, like, a lot of, like, still shots. But when it comes time to use the costume as an effect or to make Batman, like, luminous, they make it work. Like, in the beginning of the movie when, like, those petty crooks steal the money from, um, you know, money from their family. Mm-hmm. And like they're back and like they're hiding, they're hiding on the roof of like a roof of one of the buildings. And you look in the back and you see the steam, and you see like you know Batman just like great, you know just fall great, you know just gracefully fall from the sky. His cape's up, and then the cape falls to his side. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, see that was badass because it's like <laughs> right. Batman is coming and he's about to hurt y'all. This is awesome. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, in, in the movie, they do that so well. That's the one thing I can say. They can do a couple things well, but that was the one thing I think they did best is to let you know how you know how Batman loves the shadows and and he's just like you know he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But yeah, he, he loves using the intimidation. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, man, that, you know, that was the really, you know, one of the cool things about the film for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like as a whole, I mean, but there were so many things that could have went the other way. Um, I know like they had some other people come, come in and do some like, you know, last minute scripting. And like if, uh, like if Keaton or Nicholson said, you know what, this isn't going to work. Let's just ad lib. There was you know, a lot of ad lib work. Um, um, what you called, uh, Kim Basinger. Wasn't originally cast for Vicky Vale. Yeah, it was Sean Young, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I didn't do, I didn't know that until I read this article a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah. She broke her collarbone like right before filming. Yeah, and it's no. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was actually during filming with. Uh, they're doing some kind of like a horse riding scene. Oh. With Michael oh. Keaton, and she falls and breaks her collarbone, and they write that out of the script. Oh my! Now that, okay. that's according to IMDb, so I don't know if that's true or if that's just rumor or what. But and then there was a ton of people that were up for the role, including Michelle Pfeiffer, who Michael Keaton was dating at the time, mm-hmm. and he said it would be too weird having her in there, and so they ended up casting Kim Basinger. So that would kind of see, but now after knowing, you know, finding out about this, it kind of makes sense why Sean Young was so persistent to try to get the role of Catwoman for Batman Returns. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to the point where she had somebody with a camera follow her. She was dressed up in a Catwoman suit, trying to get on the Warner Brothers lot to get the role. Has she not just completely disappeared? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, she she seemed to be a big deal for a while, and then she just completely disappeared. Yeah, the um, like some people in Hollywood called it like the Catwoman meltdown, mm. and like after that, 
she kind of fell off. She kind of fell off the map for a minute, and then she was part of a Bruckheimer film, like one of the only Bruckheimer films to not be a hit. Firebirds with Nick Cage and Tommy Lee Jones, which nobody remembers. What? Yeah, nobody, I was gonna say, what is this? I've never heard of this. It was a it was a military film where and like the uh, the vehicles of choice were like uh, helicopters, kind of like in the vein of blue in the vein of Blue Thunder. Oh, but okay. um, it was like a military action film. And it was in and out of the movie theaters. I saw it on HBO many, many, many years ago. But that was a Bruckheimer Simpson film. And mm-hmm. no one remembers that film. But, like, she was in that. She showed up in Ace Ventura, the first Ace Ventura. And then after that, I did not see her again. Yeah. It's so strange how some people, you know, can some, like, even character actors can hang around forever, it seems like. And you're like, oh, there's this guy. I haven't seen this guy in 20 years, but here he is. And then some people who look like they're on the, the brink of being a major star just kind of completely fall off. Oh, yeah. So, um, no, no, please. Go ahead and continue. continue. Oh, I was going to say, um, if you uh, – do you have anything else from the magazine? Oh, yeah. Hold on one second. Let me see what else I can find for you. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Like, okay, here, here we go. Um it says here, uh, Michael Keaton, who portrays the Dark Knight, also played the title character in Burton's Beetlejuice. But the working experience was, diff- was different this time, the director says. It was more difficult because Michael is a great improviser, and I love working with him in that way. This was a tough one for Michael because much of what he had to do, especially at the beginning, was he would come in, he would come in at the day's end, put on his bat suit, which was a very uncomfortable suit, and do two shots. For Michael, the kind of actor he is, that's very difficult. I think if I were him, I would react that way. Also, I can't be certain because I haven't really talked to him about it, um, but I imagine a bit of the press filtering back to him, um, uh, yeah, a bit of a, pr- a bit of the press filtering back to him made him feel more uncomfortable. Um, also, the article talks about uh, how well um, you know Nicholson was in the film, and uh, you know how how much he contributed to the film. One thing that like really irked um, Burton was the fact that people visually compared the film to Blade Runner. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which is weird because I look at Blade Runner and I look at Batman just from a visual standpoint, not story, but visual standpoint, and I don't see it. Yeah, I don't see it at all. I don't see it one bit, but um, that yeah, you, that, I mean, we can get into this in just a minute, but I, I see this as such a Tim Burton visual because yeah. I feel like he's in that arrested development where he hasn't got past this sort of, you know, he's the same director as he's always been. Mm-hmm. Like, everything looks the same. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And this is coming from somebody, Burton, who does not like comic books, claims to have never read a comic book. Um, and, 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 and for not liking comic books, he does... You know, he does a good, he does a pretty good job with this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, one thing, last thing that, that I'll say and, about this article was um, it says Batman 2, on the other hand, is less likely to be on Burton's agenda. Then he says, that one, that one would be more difficult. Beetlejuice 2, you could make more interesting than the first one. With Batman, it would be very difficult. You could, but I don't know if they're prepared to make a sequel as interesting as it needs to be. It's an expensive movie, and I just don't know how you would do another one cheaper. If this movie has anything going for it, it's because it's fresher. It's, it's because it's not Superman. To know why they should make another one or not make another one, 
there is a lot of analysis that needs to be done as to why something is a success and what to do with it. And the only thing to do is to make the sequel unbelievable and take it to the next level. I think it must get weirder before it gets anything else. And I don't mean that in an abstract way. I mean that in a way that's interesting because if people like Batman, it's because it looks good and you can't overlook Jack Nicholson. Huh. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. Because especially, he ended up especially knowing that he did Batman Returns. Exactly, which is very difficult for me to watch. Yeah, you know, I really struggle with that one. Yeah. Um, it, it's so. I feel like every time I turn around, there's Christopher Walken in the screen, and I don't like <laughs> Christopher Walken's character in that movie at all. No, neither do I. And I love Christopher Walken, but this this character is unnecessary. Yeah. It's completely unnecessary. And and you know, Devito did a really great job as you know Cobblepot slash Penguin, mm-hmm. but they made him so disgusting mm-hmm. that it just Turned me off completely. I didn't expect Burgess Meredith, Campy's Campy Sixties Batman Penguin. Okay, I didn't expect that. I didn't yeah. want that, but it was just it was creepy, you know. And like, I don't mind. I didn't mind the the silly, stupid stuff like um, penguins with rocket packs, you know, mm-hmm. with like rocket launchers. I'm like, it's it's comic book stuff. Yeah, it's silly, but you know, I could Part I could pet. It's part of the world, so I'm fine with that, whatever, you know. Or, or the penguin riding around in a giant duck, as silly as that was. Um, but, like, the only thing that made that, that I enjoyed about that film was the one scene where Bruce Wayne is sitting in the Batcave and he's replaying the, uh, he's replaying the, uh, like, one of the pre- like press conferences that Cobblepot had. He also had uh, a Cobblepot audio dump from some other stuff he said. And he's got, like, the Bat CD player. And this is what cracked me up, because there's an actual Bat CD player. There's a CD player with, like, a Batman logo on it. <laughs> and he takes the CD and starts scratching it like a record. That mm-hmm. shit to this day cracks me up. Besides that, <laughs> nothing else of that movie is memorable for me. The only thing I remember, and I don't know, I think this is still on some of the, um, oh, what's it called? It's, uh, oh, do you have HDNet in... Yes, yes, we do. Okay, it's I, I record the show Nothing But Trailers, and it is what you would assume that it is. And so it's just a, it's just a way for me to see, like, the movies that are coming up and that sort of thing. But anyway, in the, in the middle of the, in, in the middle of that program, they have all these clips from all these classic movies, like Blading, Blazing Saddles and Terminator and that sort of thing. And they have a clip from Batman Returns, and it's when... Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer's doing all the backflips, and then she says meow, and then the thing blows up. Mm. And so that is, that's the only thing that I really remember really well, because I see it all the time. <laughs> but that's such, that's su- that was such a disappointment when I, f- when I first saw that movie. Yeah, to this day, I still really don't know how to take that film. Yeah. I, I, I don't, because, and I think not only that, but like, one thing comparing Batman to Batman to Batman Returns is that Burton did take it and make it even darker, mm-hmm. if you really think about it, and to the point where it was too dark. In, in, in my personal in my personal opinion, you know, back then it, it was too dark. Be, you know, but that's like I said, it's my take. Whereas sure. I know some some people feel that that the Nolan trilogy was dark, but I don't really see it as being dark. I just see it being set in a more realistic world. Um, you know, with a you know, with a man on a mission to one, you know, clean up Gotham and also become a um, 
become more of a, a concept for Gotham to, you know, to give people, to make people feel better about themselves and to stand up for what's right. Sure. But, um, but yeah, no, there was a lot about Batman Returns that I, that really just turned me off. And then you go to the next one, which is way more campy. Ah, oh, yep. To, to balance out the, you know, the dark that was Batman Returns and, and Batman Forever, it's a 50-50 movie. There are things about it I love. There are things about it that, that, like, even when I saw it back then, I was excited about it and I loved it. But there are things about it. There are still things about it. I'm like, it's, it wasn't that good, but I still enjoyed it. You know and, what I liked about that, uh, about Batman Forever? It is it? Kiss from a Motherfucking Rose. <laughs> I loved that song so much. Oh, yeah. And they have that music video. With Batman, and I was like, you know what? I don't really like that that movie that much, but this music video is where it's at. Well, that was the one thing. The one thing you can take from Batman and Batman Forever, they both had really great soundtracks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, Batman with the Prince soundtrack and the Batman Forever soundtrack, which was like this United Nations of music because it hit, it hit every single genre. It was like hip-hop, R&B, rock. Pop rock, indie, you know, under like uh, you know, uh, grunge, it like hit all these different areas. Mm-hmm. And I remember buying that soundtrack, and I listened to everything on it. And I'm like, I normally don't listen to to Nick Cave, um, right, right. You, you know what I mean? And so I was like, that was you know, it was weird for me. But I think PJ Harvey was on it too. And I'm like, I, I don't, you know, I was like, I back, I, was like, I didn't listen to PJ Harvey. A lot of was, Smashing Pumpkins, if I remember too. Mm-hmm. And and, and uh, let's see, who was it? Uh, U2 was on there. Mm. And, yeah, I heard U2 on the radio song on MTV all the time. But if, you know, but if that song from the soundtrack came on, I would listen to it. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, but no, it, it, it was memorable. Um, the one thing I think that got me, and I think and I, I was upset when it happened, and this goes back to Batman. Mm-hmm. Billy Dee Williams as Harvey Dent in Batman was so cool to me. Yeah. The, you know, the 14 year old me was like, this is fucking awesome. Billy Dee Williams is Harvey Dent. And I knew in the comic books that Harvey Dent was a white dude. I, I knew that. Mm-hmm. But Tim Burton was like, no, no, no. We're going to get Billy Dee Williams to play this role. We're going to make Lando. Yes. Lando. Yes. Yes. And I remember and I, seeing that for the first time. And I, and I specifically, sorry for interrupting, but I, I seriously go, Lando. <laughs> when I saw him, I was like, yes. what the fuck is he doing in here? Yes, but like, and he doesn't have a lot of lines, and all of his lines are pretty repetitive. Yeah. Pretty much, you know, we're going to clean up this city. That dumbass um, mayor, he's trying to fix, he's trying to fix things for that dumbass mayor. Yeah, you know, for the 200th anniversary of Gotham or or whatever, and so we can have this party. You know, and, and I think like the most, the only line outside of all the other lines which were repetitive was Harvey Dent saying, you're already two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, in in the red, and you and you have, I haven't even seen one balloon yet. Right, exactly right. Yep. You know, and so like, and that, and that was cool, and that, and that was really cool. But he just like had this, he had a swagger. He had just like, you know, he just had this persona to him. Like when when they were when they were at uh, Wayne's house trying to raise money for these, you know, the, the Gotham City celebration, mm-hmm. and the commissioner is at the uh, is like playing craps. Yep. Also, let me state the Wayne the Wayne Mansion has to be fucking huge in order to basically put a damn casino. Yeah, that is one big ass room. 
Yes, yes, it was huge. And like he's playing, the commissioner's playing craps, and uh, Robert Wool, who played uh, that reporter, I can't remember his name, was Oh, it's Alexander Knox. Yeah. As a kid, annoyed the shit out of me. Oh, as a kid and as an adult, annoyed the shit out of me. Thank you. I felt the same way when watching it. I'm like, you know, if, if he was there in small doses, I would have been okay. But I really think that you could have eliminated his character, period, and you wouldn't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. Because Vicky Vell essentially did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and just, but she was just a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, because because back then you couldn't be one or the other. You, yeah, you, you had know. very specialized jobs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the 80s. But, yeah, because um, Billy D goes, uh, he says, yeah, because Knox asks him if he wants to comment on the Batman. Yeah. And he says, uh, we have more problems in this town than worried about ghosts and goblins. And yeah. He says, That's not a denial. <laughs> but what I what I love about it is the way Billy D says the line, and it kind of follows with like this little chuckle, and he puts the cigar in his mouth and walks oh, yeah. off. I love that. I yep. absolutely love it. And when you get to Batman Forever, and they're like two faces in it, and this is before I saw a poster, this is before I saw a trailer. The first thing I'm thinking, Billy D. Williams is playing Two Face. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I go to the movie theater and I see the Tommy Lee. I see Tommy Lee Jones as Two Face. With like you know, with like an '80s style print suit and, and horrible makeup. Yeah, and I was pissed. You know, that's Absol- the thing. I I did read that as well for uh, doing some research for this. Billy D only signed on because he wanted to play Two Face, mm. and he, um, you know, he said, "Yeah, I'll be Harvey Dent in this one." And then eventually, when the Two Face story comes around, he wanted to play that character. And then when Batman Forever came out, he was, uh, he basically was bought out by Warner Brothers because Joel Schumacher or whoever made the decisions wanted to go, go a different way. So, and I don't know if it was, you know, if they assumed he was too old or too out of the, the consciousness at that time or, mm-hmm. or what have you, but, uh. What did you think about, and like as far as them, you know, they they do a lot of things in this movie that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to, like talking about like you know the corrupt police department or how like you know Eckhart is the corrupt guy that mm-hmm. so like Grissom Grissom is pulling Eckhart's strings and um, and you have Napier that's trying to take over the you know take over Grissom's you know gangster market and so you have the conflict between Grissom and Napier you have the dirty uh, detective and Eckhart who's doing things behind the commissioner's back um, then you have you have a lot of storylines. You have, you know, Bruce Wayne, who is trying to, who's really awkward. Oh, he's he's completely socially awkward. Yes. Yes. And which is so strange because that's one of the, the notes that I have that he, this is not the Batman I'm used to. He's he seems smart, but he's really socially awkward, and it's kind of like the awkward Batman slash Bruce Wayne, and it. I think it's done really well. It's just much different than what I'm used to. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, when he's Batman, he's, you know, he's he's that menace. He's, you know, you will not fuck with me. This mm-hmm. is my this is my city, you know, and let everybody know I'm coming for him. He's, you know, he's badass. But when he's Bruce Wayne, you know, you're right. He's he's kind of odd. He's a little bit standoffish. But when he when he knows what he wants, he goes for it until something, you know, that has to do with Batman takes over and then he's out of the loop again mm. and and he can't he can never balance that out 
even no matter how hard he tries, he just can't balance it out. And but I mean, I, I but I, I really, really, I, I like Keaton as Batman and Bruce Wayne in this film. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I got used to Batman the animated series where. Bruce Wayne, when he needed to act clumsy, he would act clumsy, but that was rare. Or, or aloof. Yeah, aloof is a much better word. Mm -hmm. Um, he would act aloof when he needed to be, but normally in the animated series, Bruce Wayne had stature, he had class. When he spoke, people listened, and when he was Batman, same way. And, and it it was great. It, it, it was great. But for Michael Keaton being this, like, you know, odd Bruce Wayne, I I loved it. I, I really did. And, um, cause I didn't think he'd be able to pull it off when I was a kid. I didn't think he'd be able to pull it off and he did. And I was just enthralled by that. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting is I think that Michael Keaton is for me more essential than Jack Nicholson as the Joker. And the reason I say that is because Michael Keaton is so unassuming in the movie and so much so to where people apparently don't know anything about him. To where, you know, Vicki Vale goes to this party. She doesn't know who who Bruce Wayne is. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't, she follows him. She doesn't know that his parents were killed. And that was the place that they were killed. Um, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of aspects of the storyline to where it, it's, it's important that Bruce Wayne is so secluded from everyone else. Right. And I think Michael Keaton plays that really well. And then later, once he, uh, I'm not even, well, spoiler alert, even though the movie's like 13 years old or 23 <laughs> years old. Uh, but the, uh, but when he fight, he figures out that it's, it's the Joker or Jack Napier that killed his parents, I feel like he does a really good job in that one scene of seeming disturbed and sort of questioning like what exactly he should do about it. Mm-hmm, because yeah. he's sitting there and he's just thinking and he's sort of caught off guard when Alfred does one of the silliest things that he could do. And just kind of brings this woman into his into the cave, but <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I'm so <laughs> That's glad. So you dumb. Brought I don't get that at all. Yeah, because it was even brought up in the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> you know, King was like, "Yeah, you gonna bring another woman in in the, in the Batcave, Alfred?" Yeah. You know, because at least when when um, Batman slept with Vicky Vale, um, or w- whatever happened, it was it happened but that was it because batman brought her in on his own accord and she did not see that it was bruce wayne but it was just weird because like that whole time alfred was trying to position bruce to hey you need to really kick it with this woman you know you know you really like this you really like or love this woman you need to kick it with her mm-hmm. because you really don't know the length of time in this movie is this like within a few days is this a few weeks it, you know, you really don't know that frame of time in this film, in my personal opinion. So you don't know how long that relationship between um, Wayne and Vale had been going on. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a little bit longer than the film would make you think it is, because mm-hmm. she's she's upset that he hasn't got a hold of her, and either she's really uh, not that deep of a character and is upset after a couple of days. Or yeah. he hasn't got a hold of her for maybe weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the- and so one of the notes that I have here, it, it I was watching the movie again, and I put bat rape question mark <laughs> uh, yeah. because you know he takes her into the into the fat cave, and he's like, "There's one more. There is something I want from you." And she's like, "Oh, what's that?" And then he lifts his 
lifts the cape up, and then the next thing she you see is she's on her apartment bed, and it's assumed by me anyway that they had sex, but there's no really like consent that that you're given a clue of, and so either she just sleeps with whoever, or you know I was like, what the fuck is that about? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, because like, cause why did you bring her to the back cave? I. That this does those things don't really work. I mean, if you want to give me extensive shots of the car going through, like you know, going through the forest, yeah, that's great because that bat car is awesome. Because we got to talk about that bat, you know, oh, yeah, Batmobile. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it really didn't make a lot of sense to me at all. I, I agree with you 100. percent But not only that, but when you look at the character of Vicky Vale, literally the first half of the film, she is a very strong, independent, um, vigorous, researching woman. Mm-hmm. Second half of the film, all she does is fucking scream. Yes. You know, my wife came in, and now she has never seen any of the first four movies. She's only seen the Nolan films, and she really enjoys all of them. And she watched parts of this one with me while I was making notes, and she said, God, is all she does in this film is scream. Like, that's all she's doing in this movie. Yeah. And I think that on IMDb they have it listed to where she has like seven or eight gasps and then like 23 moments where she screams or something like that. No, oh, yeah. And so it's a, it's a, it's enough of a it's enough of an issue to where they count it out as to how many times they do it. So and I, and I think that was probably one of the reasons why, like sometime in like the mid to late 90s, I just said I'm not going to watch this movie anymore. Mm-hmm. Um. Because as much as I enjoyed it, I got tired of all the screaming. And seeing that it had been so long since I watched it, I enjoyed it, but it hit me. And I'm like, will you stop fucking screaming? And yeah. I, I, and just, it just got tired. So, so like, yeah, and, and like, and then problem may, may have surfaced in the script. Um, with the fact that the script technically wasn't finished before they started filming. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that ad libbing could have been, you know, hey, scream. Vicky, hey, why don't yeah. you scream here? Yeah, yeah, give us another one. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I found it annoying too, but I mean, she is good at screaming. Oh yeah, yeah, you ain't lying about that. Oh man, Kim Basinger is just like, yep, I'm getting this performance. Give yeah. me that check. But mm-hmm. that was that was kind of an issue for me because her character literally took, I think, a turn for the worse. Yeah, it's okay if the character is in peril, but it came to the point where it became a hindrance. Right. Well, going you know. back going back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, you have the the Knox character, and that, as far as I'm, I mean, I've I've read Batman for twenty some years, and as far as I know, that's a completely made up for the movie character. Like, I don't I don't have any reference for him. No, I don't have any reference for him either. It's it's also like with Detective Eckhart. I didn't have any reference for Detective Eckhart, and although I remember. During my teenage years, when uh, the Batman animated series came out, and they had Detective Detective Bullock, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would always like think of Detective Eckhart as Detective Bullock. You know what I mean? But you know, but the thing is with Bullock, Bullock is completely clean, whereas Eckhart, you know, was dirty. You know, yeah, and he doesn't 100%. have much of a role other than to be the dirty cop and to get yeah. shot. Yes. Oh, and and let's talk about that scene at Axis Chemical Plant. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. Look, okay, before they go to Axis Chemical Plant, 
Mm-hmm. Um, a, a police officer comes up to Commissioner Gordon and is like, listen, um, you know, uh, Napier's people, they're about to take, you know, they're about to, you know, ransack Axis Chemical. And, you know, the commissioner's like, why didn't anybody tell me about this? And Who's in charge here? Eckhart, yeah. sir. Eckhart. And he's just like, oh, God damn it. And then they yeah. go, right? Yeah. So they go. So, like, Eckhart's people are there. It's like, look, you know, basically Grissom is paid him off to go kill Napier. He's telling all his dirty cops, shoot to kill. Mm-hmm. So that starts going on. And first off, you're in a chemical plant. Why are you shooting at chemicals? Mm-hmm. Why are you shooting in chemical vats? Why are you sh- shooting just anywhere? No, you don't do that. But they're villains. What do you expect? Right. Then the commissioner shows up with his crew. Here is my problem. You're going into a shootout. Your crew has weapons Possibly some some bulletproof vests. The commissioner comes in the same suit, straight <laughs> from the Wayne party. No gun, mm-hmm. no bulletproof vest. I'm just gonna stand around and point. I'm gonna stand around and point. Give me a bullhorn. Yeah, I was gonna say, and he gets a megaphone. Yes. <laughs> right. I'm like, you would have been shot on sight. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, because I I put, why the hell don't they just take out Gordon? <laughs> Because especially when Bob has him right there, yeah, and he says, "Let him go, or I'll do Gordon," and then he just lets him go, and then they're like, "All right, commission, police commissioner, was you know, we'll see you next time." Yeah, that whole Axis Chemical scene where, like, a lot of things to me in that scene are forced because it's like, okay, we have to advance the story, so we got to get Napier turned into the Joker, and we also have to take care of this cricket cop angle. We also have to get Batman introduced to Napier so he can turn him into the Joker and, and all this other stuff. And that whole scene, there was so much compression in that scene. Some of those things just felt odd mm. um, because Batman lets Napier go. Right. Mm-hmm. So Napier starts to walk off and like in Goon, and Bob the Goon lets uh, lets the commissioner go. But then mm-hmm. you cut back. And Napier's taking a couple steps back, he picks up his gun, and there's Batman in the shadows again. <laughs> yeah. So because then he tries to shoot him again. Right, and he uses and he uses his um you know uses his wrist to block the bullet, and you know and it hits and it hits Napier, and Napier falls in the in the vat of chemicals. Mm-hmm. But it was that whole setup. I, to me, that's like the worst part. That's the worst part of the movie to me. Um, is that set up right? Is that scene right there? I okay, mean, well, I'll tell you what the worst part of the movie is. Just a second, but keep going. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm done. Please continue. Continue. What's uh, your worst part? Well, well, sticking with the chemicals, um, I, I think it's so strange that apparently this, this chemical place has no safety regulations whatsoever. <laughs> to where Jack's going through there and he's just pulling a bunch of levers and shit and he's just yes. making it all explode and blow out everywhere. And I'm like, what the hell? This would be the worst place to work. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm sure somebody, I'm sure Jack Nicholson said, you know what, can I ad lib and just start pulling levers and stuff? And Tim's like, it's a great idea. Everything's going to blow up now. Yeah. I'm like, first off, what are you pulling? Yeah, he's just pulling all kinds of shit and pushing buttons. Yeah, man, it just, it did not, it did not make any sense at all to mm-hmm. me. So, um, but I let it go. I mean, I, I let it go because I have to take, you know, take it back and say, yo, man, they've done sillier shit in comic books, man. Oh, sure. So just let it go. But in the whole thematic sequence, it was like that whole scene could have said, set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
it could have said setup, but um, but yeah, that's that's how I felt about that. Now, now, what did you think was the worst scene? Okay, in the, film? the worst scene for me. Now we have Vicky Vale and and Bruce's first date, and you know Knox is all upset that they that she's going to go on a date with him, and he gets there and they're in that huge ass room and they have the soup and they can't hear each other and Bruce has that kind of charming line about he's never been in that room before. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can get with that. And then uh, they start drinking the wine, and Alfred's taking care of him, and he's telling stories and kind of endearing uh, Bruce Wayne to Vicky and all that sort of thing. And I really like that, and I think Kim, Pace, Kim Basinger plays a fantastic drunk. Yeah. Like, I thought she was really, like, I thought she was like, oh, this is how a drunk person actually acts here. Because, you know, she's, like, kind of breathing a little heavier, and she's, like, they're trying to kiss, and they're moving to the same side and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so then they sleep together, and they show Bruce awake, and they're sort of laying with each other. And then later, they show Vicky wake up, and Bruce is hanging upside down like a fucking bat. <laughs> what is that about? Because that is not anything Batman-related. That is something that Tim Burton had to have just thrown in and said, oh, yeah, this will be real cool. And what I don't understand, and what makes it the worst scene is Vicky wakes up, sees him, and just goes, oh, yeah, that's normal, and just falls back asleep. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree like, with what are you doing? That made no sense. That made as about as much sense as when Batman takes Vicky Vale to the Batcave, and she gets out the car, and he's like, watch your step, because, you know, you know there's not, like, a lot of room. Yeah, be careful. And be careful. And she gets out of the car, and, and like, Batman is about to walk to the rest of the Batcave, and she sees all the bats in the Batcave, and then there's a cage right by this like pathway that Batman's about to walk through, and there's a bat in a cage. There's one bat. <laughs> Does this make any sense? It's no. like his pet bat. <laughs> and I can yeah, see all is... the other bats like, what the fuck are you doing in that cage? <laughs> right. You know, Batman's like, this is my pet bat, Filbert. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> no. No. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, what is this? Oh, it's so strange. You know, but but those those are those Burton touches, man. Yeah, and, it has to be. You know, makes absolutely no sense at all. Although I will say, one scene that when I first saw the film, you know, I chuckled at, but now it, half of it annoys me, and half of it still makes me happy, is the scene where it's another setup scene, and there really isn't that much to it, to be honest with you. It's, it's one of those things where we have to show that that uh, Joker you know, really likes Vicky Vale, and that's going to increase the tension between this, like, triangle between Joker, Batman slash Bruce, and Vicky Vale. Mm-hmm. So you had that dinner, which was set up by Joker. Joker poisons the whole crowd. Oh, he comes museum. in. Yeah. Yes, at the museum. Dude's got the boombox. They start playing Party Man by Prince. Lawrence? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> but here's the thing. The only scenes now that I like in that party man sequence are just the Joker scenes. Mm-hmm. Everybody else I could give two shits about mm-hmm. the dude trying to dance like a ballerina to paint the ballerina picture. Don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, the dude putting handprints on, on another piece of classic art. Slap don't it. give a fuck. Yeah. Don't care. Not at all. Mm-hmm. But all the Jack Nicholson Joker shit. Fucking love it. Every oh, last yeah. minute of it. You know, especially like when he walks past that little statue, starts imitating the statue and then knocks it off with his hand. Yeah. He starts balancing on one leg and then, Smacks it, yes. Yeah, that that is one of the scenes where I love it. 
that scene has a little bit of a um I've always I always loved Jack Nicholson in that in that scene. And then I really like the the uh where does he get those wonderful toys? Yes. I yes. like that a lot. And that was the only line that going back to the beginning, that was the only line that I remember from the trailer. And I remember hearing that line over and over and over. And I was like, well, what is he talking about? Like, why is his face all screwed up? Like, you know, why does it look like he's got flesh-colored face? <laughs> like, what's yeah. going on? Yeah, and that messed with me, like, the first two times I ever watched the movie. Like, when he finally became the Joker, and then he came back and he had, like, human face paint on him. I'm like, wait a minute, he can flip back and forth? Mm. And then I finally realized, oh, okay, he's putting makeup over his Joker his Joker face. Okay, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got mm-hmm. it. So. So, yeah, no, 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 you're right, though. But think about it. That whole scene in itself, is that scene truly necessary? No. I think I think that's just a little bit of fun thrown in the middle of a movie. I agree. You I, know? I, I, I can agree with you on that. I, I don't I think can. it has a lot of – I mean, it's it's kind of one of those where it's good for like a little bit of a um, – you kind of get away from the dark and dreary world of Gotham City, and it's just – you just get to see Jack Nicholson screwing around and – and having a good time, I guess. And yeah. I, I can see why people don't like it. I know my wife watched it, and she's like, what is this? <laughs> what is going on? So, but yeah, she didn't care for it, but it, so I can see why people wouldn't. But I, I, I really enjoy that. And, and I think it, I enjoy it because of the Prince song. Like, if it was a different song, I don't know that I would like it that much. Yeah, what I just love is the fact that there is a man, one of Joker's people, carrying a boombox. Well, Lawrence... He- yeah, he has a music man. Yeah. He, has, he has a music man with him at all times. And yeah. I, I love that. It, those little things. And, like, Joker's crew, they've got Joker jackets. With, yeah. with like, you know, like the actual comic book Joker face on them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, like, and like a, a, a side of playing cards on, like, on the sleeve. That stuff is so fucking cool. Yeah, you know, and they've, they've also got a professional painter that's doing all of the helicopters and cars and everything like that, because they're all that lime green. Yeah, where does the money come from for this? I'm like, you know, I'm like, where did they get the money for these jackets? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, when you start to think about it, you're like, okay, quit thinking about it, quit thinking about it. Bro. Yeah, well, where did they get the money for the $2 million that he's given away at the end? No, 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 $20 million. $20 million, that's right, you're right, yes. Yeah, twenty million dollars. I'm like, wait a minute, you didn't steal all that money from Grit. No, well, you're running Grissom's Grissom's stuff now. You are like the big crime lord. So unless Grissom had twenty million hidden somewhere, I'm like, yeah, where are you? Where are you? You know, getting this money because you're not selling. You know, the uh, the Joker products with Smiley. You're not selling. Them. <laughs> yeah. You, well, you one know. of the things that I wonder is, I mean, I you you have to assume that it's legitimate money, right? <laughs> yeah. But I wonder, you know, if it's got because he says, you know, I want my face on the one dollar bill when he's in the <laughs> when he's in the museum. So, you know, it would it would make sense to me if it's Joker money or something like that. Oh yeah, definitely. But that they don't make... show that, so you have to assume that it's regular money. Oh yeah, it's that was there were like so there were a lot of there are a lot of strange things in the film. Once again, still enjoy it. There's oh yeah, a lot of strange things in it. Um, but like the cool, I think the one thing Burton and Warner Brothers did with this film. There are like a lot of iconic, you know, lines and visuals in the movie. Like the, the, you know, the Batman logo, the way it was designed, that became like a visual icon. Mm-hmm. The, but the Batmobile, how many people talked about the Batmobile? Let's talk about the Batmobile. Talk to me. The Batmobile is the slowest car I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, when it's driving down the street and it's trying to get away from Joker's men, it is so slow. Yes. <laughs> it's moving so slow. I'm watching it going, why don't they... I mean, can their regular car get over 20 miles an hour? Because they could catch him real quick. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No, not only that, but when, but like when they escape from uh, the museum into the Batmobile, and mm-hmm. they take off, and then the two Joker cars take off, mm-hmm. the first one takes off, and then the second one, which is not even close to the Batmobile, is taking off, and they're firing guns at random in random places for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Now it does it does redeem itself a little bit when he's going down to when he's going to Bat Raper, and they he's going through his uh you know his CGI or or uh, whatever forest that he's r- driving through, mm-hmm. and it is it is starting to haul then a little bit. Yeah, yes it is, but it, you know it did cool things. It did the you know Batmobile did cool things like the uh, you know the hairpin turn with which is impossible in real life the hairpin <laughs> turn with like the uh, with the rope assist, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it also had like you know the pop up machine guns. Oh yeah, and yeah. It, and it had like bat shield. Oh yeah, when the I, shield. Now I thought that was cool as shit when yes. I was younger. When I was younger, he, you know, he had a little remote control shield, and the mm-hmm. shield pop up. I'm like, oh, that's, that's awesome! And then he tells it to stop, and then he blows up the access chemicals later with it. Yeah, dude, stuff like that. I'm like, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, that is, you know, straight up comic book stuff. I love that. And so, I and I I mean I don't think we've mentioned this, but I I absolutely loved the look of it. Yeah. I thought it I thought it looked awesome, and I don't I didn't um, I mean Batmobile is one of those that gets re envisioned. It seems like with every new artist, but it's one of those where in the Schumacher films where they kind of go a little bit more over the top. I'm like, oh, no, that's not necessary. Like the original version looks cool as it is. Right, and I think oh. Tumblr's cool looking, but this is this screams to me Batmobile, not. And the Tumblr, I think, is the Tumblr. Yeah, new yes, one. no, definitely. And see, and the thing is, is that that car, that Batmobile in the '89 Batman movie was so iconic, they started putting it in the comic book. Mm, mm-hmm. People forget about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, people wanted to buy that car. Right. They, they wanted to legitimately buy and have that car. I, I mean. Hell, you'll still see it at car shows to this day. <laughs> that Batmobile still is out there for show, and and you know there's 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 nothing like it. Absolutely, positively, nothing like it. Right now, uh, I guess one of the things that we haven't really mentioned yet is let's get into a little bit of uh, of Jack Nicholson himself. Now, oh, yes, yes. one of the things that I thought was fantastic was he was such an asshole just when he was Jack Napier. Because he's he's hanging out with that woman, the mistress, yeah, of uh, Jack Palance. Yes, played by uh, Jerry Hall. I think at the time was Mick Jagger's wife. Oh, is that who that is? Really? Yeah, that was that was Jerry Hall. Because I remember when we went to go see the movie, my mother was like, "Why is she in this damn movie?" <laughs> you mean to tell me how to? Because like my mom, it's, it's funny. My mom does not cuss. She does not cuss a lot. It takes something to set her off to cuss. Mm-hmm. And when she showed up, my mom was like, out of all the women to get in this damn movie, you going to get Jerry Hall? Really? <laughs> <Nice>. <sighs> so, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, very nice. Um, so, yeah, he does that scene where she, you know, she says, uh, if Grissom knew about us, he might hand you something. And he says, you know, that uh, basically he he can't, you know, he doesn't know shit about their relationship. 
And then he's looking at himself in the mirror, and he's kind of making sure everything looks good, looks all right. And she says, you look fine. And he looks at her, and he says, I didn't ask. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what an asshole. Was, it's <laughs> kind of one of those, it's like, oh, I sort of love to hate this guy. And I thought that that was so well done to where, you know, and he had a little bit of crazy before the whole chemicals were introduced. Yeah. Especially during the scene where he throws Eckhart a sandwich and it's got money in, in you know, it's got money in because like Eckhart unwraps and you see bread and then you see money inside the bread. So it's kind of like a double. Is that what that was? Yes, that was. Yes. I thought that that was just a big thing of Coke. No, 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 dude, no. If, if, like, I didn't you go look back, close enough. If you go back and look at it, like, because you know, some people, like a, a nickname for money is bread, right? Yeah, because he goes, here's this little snack, Eckhart, and he goes, why don't you announce it or whatever. So he throws him like it's a sandwich wrapped up in wax paper, and when he opens it a little bit, you see bread, and in between the bread are dollar bills. Ah, uh, see, I saw the wax paper, and I just must have assumed it was like cocaine or something. No, 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 don't feel bad, because watching it over the last two days, mm. that was the first time I noticed that. Oh, okay. Huh. I didn't notice that whatsoever. So yeah, but go back, like, if you watch that scene, that's where, you, that's where I saw a little bit of the, maybe you're crazy... Because now, granted, it was just him talking, but like Bob the Goon had his back, you, you know, and like and had like had that gun over you know, Jack Napier's oh, yeah. shoulder. To which I said, if Jack would, if uh, Bob would have shot him, that would have just like blown out Napier's eardrum. But <laughs> you better be sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, Jack had lines in that movie. Oh, did he ever? You know, he had lines. How many of those were improvised? I don't know, but he had lines, and. um but yeah, he he steals the show. He honestly steals the show. I mean, watching this movie again, I honestly, I wanted more Napier. Now, granted, look, I love look his Joker is classic. Okay, it's classic. It's like you know, it's film iconic. Mm-hmm. It's it's cool. It, it, it's cool. But watching this, I wanted a longer movie with more Napier in it. Mm. Yeah, I can see that for sure because for me, the the Joker is uh, it's very 1960s Joker. Yeah, like it's very silly, and that's fine because that you know there wasn't, there obviously wasn't the the Heath Ledger Christopher Nolan interpretation at that time, and so yeah. you're just going kind of by what you've got so far, and I thought it was I thought his Joker was a lot of fun, and I thought yeah. he was kind of crazy enough to be dangerous, but you know still a, kind of a good time to watch. Yeah, oh yeah, he, he's a good time to watch, but he is deadly. I mean, he will kill you. Yeah. He will kill you. I mean, he he killed uh, one of the because uh, like when he went to all the mob bosses and said, "Listen, I'm going to be running shit, so mm-hmm. you need to make up your mind in the next you know couple of days or whatever um, what you want to do because I'm running stuff." And then when the mob bosses like came together and said, "You know, I'm so and so and I'm running the mob or whatever. I'm running the Grissom Corporation," and you see like the uh, mimes and you see oh yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson. You know, saying that, yeah, they signed the contract in, in Grissom's blood with this pen. And mm-hmm. then he just threw that pen right in dude's throat, which as a, <laughs> which as a kid freaked me the fuck out. And oh, yeah. as an adult freaks me the fuck out. It's, uh, you know, it's time to pay the check. He says, it's your Uncle Bingo. It's time to pay the check. And then he yeah. throws it right in the throat. Yeah, I still don't understand the Uncle Bingo thing. <laughs> I don't either. It's one of those you're like, all right, whatever. And he's got a couple of lines like that in the movie, too. I'm like, what are you ref? I'm like, you know what, I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to stop asking. Just yeah. stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think um, getting into the quotes a little bit, I think the 
the two of the most iconic ones are the "What are you? I'm Batman." I heard that so many times by people that would. I mean, you couldn't pay them to pick up a comic book, but they would say, you know, the "What are you? I'm Batman" thing at the very beginning. And then, but my favorite quote of the of the film is is the Joker, Jack Napier, "You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight?" Yeah. And for me, I don't know what that means, but I love the way that it sounds. So, so do I. And so, I think that that's that's the most important for me in a, mem- in a memorable quote is, you know, it doesn't have to make complete sense as long as it makes sense to the person who's saying it and as long as, as it sounds really cool to the spoken, you know, to the ear when you're saying it. So not only that, but I love the way Nicholson said it. Mm-hmm. It's the way he said it, the way it rolled, it just the way it rolled off of his tongue. And then when they cut to, when they cut to Keaton, we have, Keaton's like, you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Now See that's the thing. Now that is, I, I have in the notes, I love yeah. this entire Vicky Vale apartment scene. Yeah. And I put, it's Beetlejuice versus the Joker. Because <laughs> it's absolutely Michael Keaton doing his Beetlejuice. Right. Right. And not only that, but you get, in that scene, you get awkward Bruce, mm-hmm. stern Bruce, Beetlejuice Bruce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... Because, like, Bruce Wayne walks up to him and is like, I don't know who you are. You know, he calls him, you know, Napier. He's like, you know, mean guy. And, like you know, he's done, he, yeah, he's like, you know, you, 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 you know, he's done a lot of things. Then he got sloppy. And then he's just like, and he's all calm, all real calm and cool about it. And then he picks up, you know, then he picks up the, the poker thing and then just, he just turns on a switch, and I don't know why. He just does. He turns on that switch. Mm-hmm. And then when Jack Nicholson says that line, and and you literally see the look on on Keaton's face. He's like, the, the look, because he, he sells it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what? It's just the look on his face. I was like, okay, this means something. Why, you know, why did he stop? That makes no sense, you know, and, and then Nicholson says what he says, and then, like, he moves, you know, moves the gun with his hand in a certain way, and then just shoots uh, Bruce Wayne, to which then Vicky Bell screams again. Mm-hmm. And, and um, but I just I love that whole. See, I agree with you. I love that whole scene. It's yeah. it's just it's wonderful. That scene is pretty is pretty fantastic. Now I guess getting towards the end of the film, uh, one of the things that I had a note here is that uh, first of all. I'm pretty sure Batman is bulletproof because he shot point blank three different times. Yes, yes. Like, what now, the hell is that about? Like, well, straight see, in the gut. Not only that, but see, they kind of give you like a, hey, let's explain to the crowd, to the moviegoers, he must have like, you know, a bulletproof vest or like mesh or Kevlar material, mm-hmm. you know, that his suit's made out of. They, they You know, they, they explain that when he got shot the second time. Yeah, you know, after- when he gets shot... Uh, with the goons when she's taking this picture. Right. So I'm like, okay, that's an explanation for that. And yeah, but yeah, he gets shot a number of times. Because he gets shot in the very beginning by those guys too. Yes. Yes, he does. So yeah, you're right. It's it's, it's weird. I mean, you know, because like when you look at the Batman movies now, you wouldn't think that Batman's outfit is bulletproof. Mm-hmm. You know, as a matter of fact, like um, in one of the Batman movies, he says that his outfit was too was too heavy. So you know, uh, Lucius Fox, you know, slimmed the outfit down, but he said it was susceptible to knife attacks. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm like, yeah, this new Batman suit is not bulletproof. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It is not bulletproof at all, but this one is. But then again, that would also lead to the clunkiness of the suit and the the immobility of the suit. Mm -hmm. Because like any scene where you see Batman kick somebody, it's a quick cut. Because it is damn near impossible to move in that outfit. Because I mean, a lot of it, you just get a lot of still shots. You truly get a lot of still shots of Batman doing stuff mm-hmm. in, in, in this film, action-wise. But once again, they find a way to sell it with a lot of camera tricks. Um, you know, but the thing is, once again, it's still the best Batman movie that had ever been made at that time. So everything looks grand to you. Oh, sure. You know, I mean, but if you really think about it, if you look at the Batcave, the Batcave is small. Mm-hmm. I mean, for $30 million back in 1989, it's a lot of money. But the Batcave, if you really look about it, if you really think about it and look at it, it's small. And he's got this tiny vault that holds his suit. You know you know what I mean? Like, you know, in, um, Alfred. By the way, uh, is it Michael Go or Michael Gow? I think it's Go. Okay. Michael Go is a wonderful Alfred. Yes, he is. And 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 I forgot all the cool things that he does in this movie. Um, to you know, to let you know, hey, I'm Alfred, and I always have Bruce's back. Mm-hmm. There's no questioning, you know. There's no question of it. But in the beginning of the film, where they're having the Wayne party, and Bruce is trying to find out, you know, who is this woman, and and he has the pen because he just signed a check for somebody, and he <laughs> takes and he takes the pen and sticks it in like I'm in a fern bush he or whatever. Sticks it in that cactus. Yeah, and and Alfred just comes by and picks it up. Yeah, that's one of the things in that in that same scene or in that same uh, part of the movie. He's he's giving Knox a drink, and Knox goes, "Oh, here you go, here you go," and he gives him a dollar. Yeah, and Alfred holds it with such disdain. He's like, <laughs> "You kidding me? You give me a dollar?" Yeah, exactly. I loved that this time around. <laughs> oh yeah, and and when um after after Bruce puts the pin, you know, in in the mm-hmm. plant, mm-hmm. and Alfred picks it up. Bruce is also drinking something, and he puts it on, like, the craps table, and out of nowhere, Alfred just takes it. Yeah, because it's going to fall over, and he grabs it right before it falls. Yeah. Yeah, he was a, he was a really good – he was a really good – I think, thought that casting was really well done, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the other notes I have towards the end of the movie is, uh, is it says here, God damn, Batman lives a long ways away from the city. Because yeah, he, he drives forever when he's taking Vicky back to the Batcave. And then when he's in the plane, it seems like he takes it forever to get to the city. Yeah, well, part of the reason why it took why it took forever to get there is because he had to fly up and like fly against like the moon, so he <laughs> so he could you know which to this day. So when I first saw that in the movie theater, when he did that and like he and like he reflects the bat symbol on the moon, mm. you know, against the moon, the crowd went ape shit. Oh, is that right? They went ape shit. It was like that's so fucking. Awesome. I would never put that in a script because I was I'm seeing that and I go, okay, well, because it's right after he cuts the balloons, mm-hmm. and so he gets to there, you know, and he he uh, takes the balloons and then he cuts them and then he flies up and shows the bat signal. But if you look at the bottom, there's a bunch of cloud cover. Yeah. And so no one down below from the actual city can see him doing this. So oh, like, yeah. what are you doing? Exactly, it makes no sense. And and I think I think it was either Tiny Toons or Animaniacs did it best because they mocked that scene in a cartoon a couple years later. Mm. And when and when the and when the and when the Bat Jet made it to you know made it to uh, you know silhouette the moon mm-hmm. out of nowhere a trademark symbol showed up. Uh. 
<laughs> it just like it flew out of nowhere over the corner. Trademark. And then and then it took off. Stuff like that. I mean, that's what I think about now. When I see that scene, I'm waiting for like a little a little trademark logo to pop up. Sure. But um but yeah, yeah, it takes him forever to get to Gotham. I, I figure, you know, if you know his schedule, you could make out like a world class champ if you're a criminal. Yeah, oh yeah. It has to at least take him a half hour to get to Gotham. So <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's one of those where I think they, I think IMDb said there was over 50 body counts in the movie. Hmm. Where you know he kills that, he kills the one, uh, the only one black guy that apparently is in Joker's crew that's kicking <laughs> Batman's ass for a while. Oh yeah, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, yes, he's kicking right. his ass for a while and then he just throws him down the big column, and I'm like, what the hell? Like apparently Batman's just killing people left and right. But there's over 50 people that are killed in this movie, according to IMDb, and it's like half of those are because it's taken Batman forever to get to the freaking town. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Now, then you get that final fight. You yes. get the final fight between Joker and Batman. Mm-hmm. And I think, once again, it's weird for the simple fact that bats can hardly move in the suit. Mm-hmm. And not just, only that... Oh, go, go ahead. Well, Joker's just standing there. Like, he's not really trying to fight back. He's just getting punched, and he falls through stuff. And then he gets back up, and he, like, puts his glasses on, and he gets punched again. And it's just like, well, why don't you grab some shit and try fighting back a little bit? Like, what are you doing? And I think that, once again, had to do with the fact that there probably wasn't a script yeah, at that time. Yeah. So they're like, what do we do? Or they got the script, and, like, Nicholson and Keaton were like, uh, nah, we don't like that. Can we do something else? I mean, who knows? Who honestly knows? So it's just weird. And then, you know, then like, you know, Joker ends up falling off of the, you know, falling off the tower or whatever. And, 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 you know, he dies, but, you know, but you hear that constant laughter. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That creeped me out when I was a kid. Um, It still creeps me out. Mm. And, and I think the thing that got me was... Because, you know, in the film, they make Napier the guy who killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Mm-hmm. Instead of it being, you know, in the comics, it was Joe Chill. Joe Chill, yep. And and, you know, and I know why they did that. They did that to tie plot points together, to, like, you know, tie the story together. Mm-hmm. But, you know, once again, going from, you know, the comics, I know not everybody reads the comics, so and it, it doesn't, you know, make sense to try to rationalize it, but... You know, Batman exists because, you know, Batman exists because, you know, Joe Cho Chill killed his parents and, and stuff like that. But in this story, it's Batman exists because Jack Napier killed his parents. So, you know, Batman's like, you know, you created me, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you created me. And then Joker in return is like, no, 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 no. You created me. Right. And but then also at the same time in the comic books, it's like Joker can't live without Batman and Batman can't live without Joker. And Batman doesn't kill, so that's why Joker continues to exist every time he breaks out of, out of Arkham. So it's it's this really weird dynamic, but it works. But to have Joker die at the end of the film, to me, it's like, well, I remember as a kid saying, well, if you kill Joker, that's it. That's the most dangerous villain in Gotham. I was right. like, anybody, anybody else can handle these other cats. So, <laughs> right. man, do retire. You're good. Retire. Mm-hmm. So, um mm-hmm. So, but then, you know, and, you know, so that was weird to me. It still is weird to me. Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of those where he, it's like Batman needs to do some more bicep curls because he can't lift shit. Like, he couldn't, he couldn't drag Jack when he was up, when he was hanging, hanging above the, the chemicals. 
And I guess I guess he didn't really try because he he lifted up Vicky Vale and saved her, and he just basically put that uh, he put the little rope or whatever around around Joker's feet, and so he yeah. would fall. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's it's just strange to where he's kind of killing people, which is sort of one of the things that he's so against in the books. Yeah, but, yeah. It, it's but just you know, like, a movie's a movie, so you got to kind of take it for what it is instead of what it's not. Exactly, and, that, and that's and that's what I. Um, that's why I have to. That's what I have to take. That's what I have to take from it. So I just let it go. You know what I mean? I just mm-hmm. you just let it go and you enjoy it for what it is. Because once again, at that time. That was the best that they can give you. And remember, John Peters is one of the executive producers on this film. So it could have been a lot worse. All right. Yeah, absolutely. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. So, uh, I mean, and I think it also helped that there were other producers on the film as well. And I think that may have, like, kind of curbed Peters from doing some really crazy shit. Sure. So, uh, so yeah. But um, this is still to this day one of my favorite movies ever. Right. Well, all right. Well, uh, do you have anything else to say about Batman before we wrap this one up? Um, yeah. Listen, I know y'all had $30 million to spend, but y'all really made it seem that, like, there was only one bat outfit for the whole film. <laughs> yeah. So y'all treated it with kid gloves, but, like, there was scarring on it, and it looked rough in spots. And if, if that could have been touched up a bit... Because, like, in the other Batman movies, that outfit is clean as a whistle. Mm-hmm. Always clean. Mm-hmm. Even, if, even, if the, even if the cow gets ripped off, that outfit is clean. But, <laughs> yes, but is. like, um, but in, the, in this Batman movie, this is a dirty-ass Batman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a real-world dirty... It needs a, it needs a washing, Batman. Yeah, it, yes, it did need a washing. And also note, because it's the 80s, there are a lot of matte paintings. Oh, God, are there ever. And I love it. I love yes. matte paintings, dude. I fucking love them. Love I would them take that over some silly-ass CGI-looking stuff anytime. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. So, um, no, but that's 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 really my, my take on Like I said before, I even for all of its flaws, I truly love this film because this was such a big deal to me as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when it came out, I was like, you know, going on 14. It was such a big deal to me um, because I never thought I would see something like this ever on screen. So, so yeah, it, it was a really big deal, and I, and I loved it. And yeah, I love the new Batman films even more. And you know, and the, the series as a whole, from the Burton Schumacher era, there are highs and there are definite utter lows. Mm-hmm. But um, but no, but Batman, like I said, that still holds a place in my heart. From 1989, so yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's fantastic. So that's about uh, that's about all I got uh, to say about it. So here here's the deal. This is a, this is kind of a, a new show still. So we're trying a little something different from our regular show. So if you like it or don't like it, you can email us at uh, plainlabelpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you can also let us know what you think over uh, at Twitter. Our handle is at PlainLabelPod, where you can follow myself. I'm at EricWilliams79. We also do have a Facebook page where you can like the show. Just search Plain Label Podcast, And you can also friend me over there. I'm, uh, I'm at EricWilliams. I don't really go on Facebook very much. But anyway, um, just like the, the regular show, we, we will have Amazon links to 
are on our website, which is plainlabelpodcast.tumblr.com. If you click on those links and buy that movie that we talked about here today, you will get uh, that film, and we will get a little bit of that money with no additional cost to you. So we would love to hear what you think, so write us an iTunes review and tell you know, anyone that you think might be interested about the show. So before closing this one out, I would like to thank uh, Sean for coming on and talking about Batman with me. If people wanted to hear more from you, where would they find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter um, under at PKD Media. Um, my podcast, uh, which is called the PKD Black Box, can be found on hhwlod.com. Uh, the PKD Black Box has a set of uh, podcasts, mine, the PKD Black Box, Donnie Salvo's Tales from the Attic, and John Carroll's The Carroll Chronicles. And then what else, Sean? What are you? Uh, what oh. are you president of? Yes, <laughs> yes, I am also the president of Action Lab Entertainment. Action yes. Lab Entertainment publishes comic books uh, every month. We've been in, in the direct market for over two years. We are the publishers of the Eisner-nominated and three-time 2012 uh, Glyph Award-winning Princeless, along as uh, with other titles such as Double Jumpers, Fracture, uh, XO One, The Rock Solid Steelbots, Jackhammer, and a slew of others. For more information about um, Action Lab Entertainment, what Action Lab Comics are doing, including the uh, co- collaboration with uh, Jamal Igo for Molly Danger um, in 2013, uh, please go to www.actionlabcomics.com. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Jamal Igo, he is uh, he is pretty awesome. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He and he's a hell of a nice guy. So. Yeah, he's one one of the classiest men in comics. I, once again, Sean, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it was really, it was really fun. So I'd like to have you on, you know, anytime that you feel like uh, talking about any other movies, it would be uh, fantastic. Oh yeah, this was wonderful. Seriously, I had a great time, and this is a bunch of fun. So, well, by all means, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, no problem. And uh, thank you for listening. And I'll be back in uh, two more weeks with another co-host and another film.
And that concludes this week's Black Box. The Black Box is a member of the HHWLOD Podcast Network and is available at HHWLOD.com, where you can download previous episodes of this podcast, as well as Donnie Salvo's Tales from the Attic and John Carroll's The Carroll Chronicles. This podcast is also available on iTunes. The Black Box is also a member of the Comics Podcast Network. If you're on iTunes or the Forum for Geeks board, feel free to leave us a comment. You can also reach the podcast at blackboxpodcast one at gmail.com. Once again, that's blackboxpodcast1 at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next episode, dream big, hustle hard, and never stop. <laughs>